left off at uh, six. We're going into number five of our top ten most influential movies. This is uh, technically part two of uh, Two Assholes and One Mike, um, part of the What's Your and Binge series of podcasts brought to you by Joe and Chris. I'm Chris. That's Joe. I'm Joe. Uh, this time you're homie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Leaving off at uh, number six last night, we're going to go ahead and, like I said, jump into number five. So uh, you're up, bro. What's number five for you? Number five for me is uh, you're <laughs> you're going to love this one. So we'd uh, we'd sit around, we watch basketball, and uh, there was a player on your team. You're a Mavericks fan. There was, yeah. <laughs> there was, you know where this is headed. There was a. <laughs> So there was a player on your team uh, back in the the mid two thousand, Steve Nash, who uh, you loved his haircut and you always referred to it as the uh, Dead Poet Society haircut. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve Crappy Nash. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So my number uh, my number uh, five is from nineteen eighty nine, directed by Peter Weir. Uh, three Oscar nominations, uh, including a uh, uh, best actor nomination for the uh legendary robin williams and it's dead poet society um this story to me really really kind of struck a nerve um just from the simple fact one of the main characters neil perry um has like this overbearing father who um who who he loves his son right both of his parents love his son love their son but um they uh they they just want him to to go ahead and uh and get the education their way they want everything to be done by the book and the book is how they wrote it so these kids are going to a prep prep uh school it says i believe it's 1959 um somewhere on the east coast and so the the school itself um basically has an archaic educational uh curriculum they're they're um they're very old school very kind of uh victorian era kind of education type uh facility and uh it's an all boys school there's no girls anything like that and they're dealing with ages uh you know elementary through like high school so you know when you get into like high school guys and there's like no, no women around, there's a lot of, a lot of tension and a lot of, of, uh, you know, kids trying to be kids kind of thing. Hazing um, and bullying and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. There's all that. But then there's also, you know, that they're, they're, they're on the brink of adulthood and they want to start branching out and discovering who they are as people and things like that. And the school is kind of not really with that. And along comes, uh, at the beginning of the school year, along comes a professor who's an old graduate of the school, uh, Robin Williams. He plays uh, Dean Keating. And he's kind of a, a unorthodox, against the grain kind of thing. And he, 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 he's an English teacher. And a group of kids in his class, he kind of, he gets them to kind of feel out their own artistic expression and uh, gets them to kind of be free thinkers and stuff and really goes against the grain of, of what the uh, institution's trying to instill upon them. 
Um, and it's just a, it's just an amazing, amazing movie. It's, um, you know, it deals with a lot of, uh, uh, it's a, again, it's kind of an anti-suicide film. I don't want to get into too many spoilers if you, if you, uh, haven't seen it. Yeah. But Rob, Robin Williams is incredible in this. He's, he takes these boys under his wing and kind of, you know, uh, gets them to, to, um, join this club kind of that he was part of a club back in the day called the dead poet society, which was kind of an underground fraternity. Um, and they, they discover an old, an old yearbook with him in it. And it says, that's what he's one of the, the clubs he's involved in. And he kind of explains to him what it's all about, how they just kind of go out to like this old cave and kind of explore, uh, you know, poetry and things like this. It sounds a lot cheesier than what it really is. I mean, it's it's really an exercise in uh, in brotherhood. I, it's, were, it's a great it's it's a great movie. If I remember correctly, doesn't he try to like really downplay the actual society itself, like it's a dead thing? And yeah, yeah, he's yeah, his he's, time and yeah, he's like it's if resurrected. That, yeah, if that thing ever did exist, um, you know, you guys should really kind of steer clear of it. Wink, 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 kind of thing. Um, right. And uh, yeah, and these kids kind of kind of uh, reconvene the the Dead Poet Society. There's about six or seven of them that start the club back up, and they get into some trouble in the school. And uh, Neil, the one of the main characters, decides that he has a passion for acting, and his dad is thoroughly against that. Um, his dad wants is him to go to school, Ethan, be a Ethan lawyer. Hawk character is that the Ethan no, Hawke character? No, Robert Ethan Sean Leonard. Robert Sean Leonard, yeah, plays the okay. main. Which Ethan Hawke, by the way, this is his first movie, and uh, he's amazing in it. He plays kind of the shy, uh, shy kid who's part of a, um, uh, a dynasty, I guess, for lack of a better word, of uh, like a legacy pledge. His family's yeah, always yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah, his family. He's like the young, the last of like this long line of of great graduates to come out of that school, and uh, he's he's really kind of a shy kid. Doesn't really want to to do anything, um, you know, against, against tradition or whatever, but he doesn't have the natural knack for, uh, for higher education that the rest of his family has. He has to try a, a little bit harder and things like that. And he becomes buddies with Neil, their roommates and Neil kind of, you know, kind of gets him to break out of his shell a little bit and, and, uh, and kind of become his own, his own guy. Um, this movie also has one of the best um, ending scenes, uh, in my opinion, of any of any um, any movie out there. When they're when they get up on their desk and they kind of pledge their loyalty to uh, to Robin Williams after he gets fired for his um, his uh, there's a small spoiler there uh, after he yeah. gets fired for for his uh, teaching methods and stuff. They kind of get up on the desk and rebel against the against the uh the dean who's now teaching the class and and you know it's a really cool really cool little flick um like i said three oscar nominations i don't think it won anything it did um, win one oscar um i'm i'm cheating and actually looking at it right now that and this is another one that we're rating on our all-time list the meta score here is only 79 and the uh imdb rating is only an 8.1 but uh 
uh, we're including it. And uh, top rated movies, it's only number 223. So, well, uh, but out of several million, that's pretty good. So. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a 10. It's, um, and like I said, for me, it, it really strikes a nerve because that, that, the Neil's father, played by uh, Kurtwood Smith, Red Foreman, right? Who's a, uh-huh. who's a, I mean, he's he just he plays that hard ass dad and everything. He's kind of like you know the Ed Asners of the world. He's got his he's got his typecasting uh, that he's he's good at, and you know he makes a living out of it. And he's you know top form in this. Um, but it really really reminded me a lot of my father and how my father like tried to get me to excel and and do it his way and you know he was really good at math so i.e i was supposed to be really good at math and i failed algebra two twice because you know mostly because i just i was tired of him pushing me um you know i just wanted to get my credits and get get done get done with high school um right get the fuck out of dodge yeah and and kind of do my own thing which is kind of what neil uh wants to do here um you know, although Neil does do that, really well in class. Um, it, uh, out of all the movies that we have on this list and the movies that are, are to come, this is the the one movie that um, I believe I have only seen it once. And uh, back in the day, whenever it first came out, back in 89, that was whenever I was working at the uh, book broker. Um, which was a comic book and, and movie rental place. And yeah. I believe I, I watched it just because whenever it came out, it was a real hot movie to be rented. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that Chuck always required us to do is know about the shit that customers are talking about. So I watched it once. Yeah. And uh, at that time I was only 19. And so it, it didn't hold, it didn't sparkle a lot for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's not a lot to uh, there's not a lot to it i mean it's not an action flick it's there's some comedic moments but it's not really a, it's a straight i mean it's a straight drama outside of robin williams being robin williams um it's definitely his first like dead on dramatic role right yeah well yeah he's he's very dramatic in this but he's also uh he also lets his his um comedy background come through a little bit um it's it's really worth another look for you dude okay i'll definitely put it on the list and and now that you know it probably holds a little bit more weight uh looking back on the dad pushing in and all that kind of stuff and the uh underground society and everything i could kind of put on my tinfoil hat and get into that part of it yeah uh, yeah so uh yeah i'll definitely take a look at it um yeah, good number six uh, there. That's uh, that's pulling one out of. Uh, I I did not expect that movie to appear on this list. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So that's uh, number five for Joe. Number five for Chris is a uh, movie that was released in 1984. Uh, it was the first of what ends up becoming a uh, franchise. Um, a total of five uh, movies were uh, created. Uh, the first one, it is a uh, Spielberg creation. A, a is written by Lucas. The story itself, uh, Lawrence Cashian uh, uh, actually converted it to the screenplay. He doesn't get as much credit for being involved with those two. He did actually convert a lot of their story stories and uh, 
storyboarding into what we actually saw in the movies. Um, he was kind of he's kind of an unheralded uh, third third party and a lot of their success during the 80s. Uh, you've got Harrison Ford. Um, you have Karen Allen. You have Paul Freeman. And you have the Raiders of the fucking Lost Ark. Um, uh, super action movie, blending some comedy in it. Uh, definitely the beginning, uh, for me at least, of um, uh, looking at uh, looking at uh, the inside of things as far as uh, cover-ups and, and uh, uh, conspiracies and whatnot. You've got Chasing After the Lost Ark. you got the Nazis in there. Um, you have the love interest with uh, uh, Karen Allen, uh, which that dynamic doesn't get as much uh, credit, I, I don't think, as it's, it's due. And by far, out of all of the movies that were created, including the uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, uh, young Indiana Jones, or uh, his son, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, definitely the best of the entire franchise. Um, but it, it definitely carries a lot of juice, and everybody... Uh, anticipated each new release as it as it came out crystal skulls and uh, the temple of doom and and everything else that followed it but all in all it was uh nominated for 10 awards what it won five oscars um including um uh the best uh score uh another john williams uh, I, uh iconic yeah. iconic score you know I mean, you, it's it's on point you hear the first five notes and it's almost like the emperor's march, you know exactly what the fuck's going on. And you know, yep. the, yep. the uh, four or five scenes that, that, uh, that the uh, theme is played in and, and uh, incredibly good, um, a great popcorn movie uh, and, a, and a, a really great watch. And you can watch it over and over again. It's one of those movies that uh, even if you've seen it 30 times, you're flipping through the channels and it's only been on for 10 minutes. Oh yeah. I'll watch it again. It's one of those. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. I wonder what parts, what part it's on. Kind yeah, of thing yeah you... exactly. Uh, a lot of iconic dialogue. There's a lot of repeatable scenes in it for a Spielberg movie to have uh, as many, um, you know, like taglines and, and repeatable dialogue in it, kind of like a Cohen movie. This is one of the very few other than maybe Forrest Gump that's highly quotable. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a, a great, great movie, a great franchise holds a place near and dear in, in our hearts because we were so young whenever it came out. I was uh, only 14 and Imagine by the time you saw it, uh, you know, I mean, you're only seven whenever it came out, but by the time you saw it, you're, yeah, I'm sure you appreciated it for what it was, which was a, a great yeah. Adventure ride. And, yeah. Uh, well, I, I've always had like a love for history and stuff. So, I mean, that was, that was right on, right on point with that. Yeah. Um, great movie uh, for me. And, uh, here's what I love about John Williams, right? He, uh, and the George Lucas movies, like, star wars and this um they kind of the soundtrack plays out like an opera there's no there's no like popular music that they throw in there they don't they don't use any any uh pop songs or anything like that it, it's it, it it's played out like an opera but this score is through the whole the whole movie there's some sort of background score going on uh-huh. and to, it's all to whatever kind of mood of, of the, of the scene is happening. And it's, that's what I really, really love about John Williams. I mean, he's outside of Ennio Morricone. He's, he's my favorite uh, movie composer Yeah, uh, because he just makes turns everything into, into an opera. I mean, you can, 
you don't even have to be watching the movie to know what's going on just from the feel of of the soundtrack. Right. You know uh, the scene, you know the uh the jumping into the adventure where he's getting drugged underneath the car by the whip and then also whenever <laughs> right, the uh, right uh whenever the Nazis uh, uh unveil the ark for the first time and they look in it and their yeah. face melts and the music and the sound effects that's going on around it and everything just his uh his music uh to a large extent defines the scenery and defines the movie absolutely just as much as the uh the uh, poster of you know the the actors and the stars that are in it um it's it's uh as much a part of the movie as as harrison ford uh as indiana jones so yeah um, yeah uh so that's that's it, it it's it's really hard to imagine um like some movies you can watch and you can be like oh well you know anyone can play that guy you know kind of thing but you can't you can't really imagine anyone else's Indiana Jones besides Harrison Ford after you see him play it. And it's right. not like it's a difficult role, but he kind of made it his. Definitely. And definitely. It's... It was a, a role that was made for him and he acted the, uh, you know, he, he acted the part and, and portrayed the shit out of it. You know, definitely. He, he actually uh, incurred quite a few injuries during this because back in those days, oh, I a lot of his yeah. own stunts <laughs> and uh, yeah. like he fucked himself up. Uh, he broke some ribs. Uh, the big scar that he has on, uh, on his lip came from this movie uh, being tugged behind the uh, car, uh, holding the, with the whip tied onto the axle. Like he's doing that uh -huh. fucking shit, yeah. fucking himself yeah. up pretty fucking decent. So, um, a lot of epic stuff goes into it, and just it really holds a one of the main reasons. This is one of the three movies on this list that uh, I went to with my old man as a kid, and uh, we went to the theater and saw this, and I had no idea what I was in for, and like my my right. dad often did, he went and saw it the weekend before, and then uh, uh, took me to it. Just so basically he, he, I, he got a kick out of watching how I would react uh, yeah. to, to a lot of it. And I was totally engrossed with it from the opening opening scene and, and, and from there on, you know, just super awesome movie and um, just epic on all accounts. So, yeah, that's my number five, bro. Yeah, good one. Good one. Um, so my number four is the second of the uh, three Sam Rockwell um, okay. movies that I have on my list. And Sam Rockwell, he's 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 more of a uh, supporting actor, but he does well in a lead role as well. Um, this is not one of those movies, but I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> okay, but, uh, he can he can carry his own, you know, as as a lead or as a or as a supporting. And this supporting is really he's good in anything like i said he could play the asteroid on armageddon yeah. Yeah. but but he's really good as a supporting actor and he can play just like he can play uh the kind of role model kind of character in the way way back he can play with equal enthusiasm a kind of a sociopath um child rapist murderer uh and that leads me to my number four from 1999 directed by frank durabont uh your boy from uh, the creator of uh, Walking Dead uh -huh. and also director of Shawshank Redemption in what many call Stephen King's most true uh, film or the most true film adaptation of a Stephen King work. Uh, it's the Green Mile. Um, yeah. 
Now, the Green Mile is uh, as strange as this sounds. Every time I watch this movie, uh, because it's such uh, it's such a, a um, the content is just so absolutely horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely I a come out, novel. With a, a when I when I come out of it, I always I, whenever I'm like feeling really down and shitty about life, and I watch this movie, I feel like a completely better person. Um, because it never fails and you can, anyone can email us or whatever, dude. But I cry at the end of this movie every fucking time, dude. This is yeah. a clinic in acting. Um, it's, it's some of the finest acting I've seen from everybody, every player in the, in this movie, um, including Sam Rockwell. Uh, it also stars Tom Hanks. It's got Barry Pepper. Uh, um David Morse plays uh, kind of the number two in command at the uh-huh. at the prison, uh, and he's one of my favorite uh, supporting actors. That really doesn't he, get. A he's lot an of underrated guy. He, everything he very does much so. is very solid. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and this is basically the story of um, of a fellow by the name of John Coffey, played by Michael Clark Duncan. Um, I'm just tired. Just <laughs> who who just passed uh, a couple years ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, he's uh he's kind of picked up for um the the murder of of uh two I believe they're twin girls in Louisiana, and he's put in this prison, put on death row, which Tom Hanks is in charge of. Um, and as the story progresses, Tom Hanks has a uh, a UTI urinary tract infection. And as the story progresses, uh, it, it comes to happen where uh, Michael Clark Duncan actually has, they have an encounter and he actually like heals him, heals him of his, uh, of his uh, ailment. Yeah, I believe and it was Tom, more severe than a UTI. I believe it was his prostate itself was in very bad shape. He might've had gallstones or something. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, so it's something, yeah, very much so. But uh, he's just in pain the whole time. And Tom Hanks begins to doubt whether or not, uh, you know, Michael Clark Duncan was maybe uh, actually really guilty of this crime or not. And he sees a couple more miracles that he performs throughout the um, throughout his stay there. And uh, by the end of it, he's he he knows that um, that he has to execute an innocent man. Um, and it's it's like they say, John Coffey just kind of fell out of the sky. Um, right. It's it's a weird supernatural uh, kind of movie that uh, that kind of deals with. I mean, it 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 really makes you question uh, if there's if there's a higher power out there. It makes you question, um, you know, if you're if you're doing a job like uh, working in, in um, as a corrections officer working on death row and, and putting people to death. Are you really doing the right thing? Are you really doing uh, the work, uh, you know, your part in society or uh-huh. are you just, you know, kind of making it in life? Um, Calling it your job, really don't one, make it right, you know, kind of deal. Right, right. And um, it, it's just an, an incredible movie. Um, I very much uh, recommend that you watch, that anyone watches it. It's um, like I said, if you're a fan of Stephen King, and you're a fan of Tom Hanks, and if you're a fan of just good all-around acting and uh, and everything, I'd recommend that you watch this. 
power powerhouse cast and and the the casting for each role you know sam rockwell um, being, yeah yeah sam, uh, sam, sam rockwell, rockwell being a total loon and mm-hmm. um uh, tom anks uh playing the uh not a distinguished southern gentleman but he is he is a southern uh southern gent and uh, uh the questioning um society's morality and ethics um along with the horror of the things that uh uh michael duncan clark uh, or uh michael clark duncan sorry uh the horror of the things that he absorbs and the fact that if he does kill somebody or does the laying on of hands he sees their their past transgressions and, right. and, and all their uh, sufferings past all their pain and, and uh, everything's passed, passed on to him. And, and he, uh, he's carrying that around and he's such a gigantic man. And he was in real life and, and, and uh, the special effects, not special effects, but the way that they, they did the camera work to make him look even that much bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, really added a lot of gravity to it that he had to be such a tank of a human to be able to carry the weight of all of the horrors of humanity that he didn't see firsthand, but because of his special gift, he, he basically did uh, see it firsthand and, and just, yeah, just uh, from beginning to end. And, and there are there uh, at the end, uh, like you, there's been a few times I have avoided watching the end of it because I didn't feel like I was in the mood for a good cry, but it definitely does uh, uh, definitely pull, pull tears at the end of it, uh, every time you watch it all the way through. And, oh, um, I mean, you can't not, you know, when, no. when, when, uh, Tom Hanks and all the guys on, uh, on the green mile, which is the name of death row, they all, by the end of it, they all know that they're putting to death an innocent man. And it's, they're doing it because it's, it's their duty kind of thing. Yeah. And, and he asked them to, he said, please, please do it. Yeah. Just put, put um, me out of my misery. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to see the the look on all their faces, um, all the guys that are there. I mean, that just that scene alone is is, is incredible. And uh, Tom Hanks kind of at the end when when the family of the of the two slain girls who don't know that he's he's innocent, um, right? They're saying, "Go ahead and uh, you know kill him twice for me, boys." And uh, Tom Hanks gives the order, and then he stops and he shakes his hand. Um, one last time, you know, yeah. B- before before they flipped the switch, and it it was just, uh, yeah. And, and the uh, the acting ability of all of those on screen, all of the uh, guards, the fact that you can see their their humanity change, just the, and the raw fact emotion, yeah, yeah. It causes such grief and uh, causes a lot of self doubt and everything. It's written plainly on their faces, which is a very hard acting. Uh, that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, oh yeah, you gotta go. You gotta go really somewhere, somewhere deep, dark. Uh, some, yeah. I mean, you've got to dig into the most painful experience in your past, and you've got to just own it, and just let it. You know, not be afraid to let that come out. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it's incredible what they do. Um, Top-rated movies of all time. It comes in at number thirty on IMDb. It is given a eight point six, uh, which I think we both agree that this movie is a 10 the meta score 10, however is, is only a six is only a 61 and uh, i don't understand and, and that it's inexplicable yeah no for me yeah. this is um <laughs> for me this is my uh number eight all-time favorite movie uh which maybe one day we'll get around to our top 
top tens, but this is my number yeah. eight all time favorite. Um, it's three good, hours good long, solid. and you know what? I I can watch it um, over and over and over. Yeah. Um, uh, there for there for a while, I believe that there was a, a few months where I think uh, both of us were kind of trading off. We watched it weekly almost uh, there uh, for uh, some runs of time there. So, um, yeah, definitely a great choice, man. Really good choice. So that's number four. That's my number four, correct? All right. Uh, my number four, this is the only entry in all of these that would be considered modern sim- cinema or made in the last 20 years. And, uh, only because it, uh, was so wildly anticipated. The novels that the uh, screenplay was adapted from come from the 1920s and thirties, uh, by a true master of the science fiction, uh, genre, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Peter Jackson does the direction of it. The cast that comes out of this that uh, are household names, some careers were launched, some careers were solidified. You've got uh, Sean Bean, who dies in everything that he does. Uh, Sean <laughs> Aston. Yeah. Kate <laughs> uh, Blanchett, for God's sake. You got uh, Billy Boyd, uh, who's Pippin, uh, the dumbest fucking halfling ever. Uh, Orlando Bloom, uh, Christopher Lee. Um, Ian Holmes, uh, as Bilbo, he, he's a perfect cast for Bilbo. He, he really, he makes that character come to life. Um, Andy, Andy Serks, uh, uh, Ian McKellen and yeah, Viggo Gandalf. Holmes. Let's talk about him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, every, every part, every, every entry into the series, of course, is, uh, as good as could be expected. Uh, but the Lord of the Rings itself, uh, by far is my favorite of the, of the trilogy. Um, the first one. Yes. The fellowship. Um, yeah. The Me fellowship well. of the ring is, is easily the, the best. Uh, however, that's not discounting the, uh, twin towers and, 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 and everything else. It, it's just, it sets the stage. It sets up the entire journey. You get, uh, completely, entrenched with all of the characters all of the fellowship you know enough about them to be completely invested for the rest of the time and as peter jackson is wont to do he completely goes tries to do his best to go as over the top as possible and it still only makes it a more solid yeah. movie because it is tolkien um, i love the director's cut more than the actual uh uh-huh. than the actual theatrical release um i think it adds so many more elements yeah you're um, going you're on a three-hour ride and and you watch every fucking minute of it you know um yeah i can't say enough about it and and uh, all together it was nominated for 17 awards it won four oscars and was snubbed at the globes somehow or another uh, it did uh, uh, pick up a lot more at the SAGs, but uh, I I thought that that was uh, mildly entertaining to find out that it did get a snub from the uh, Golden Globes. But uh, yeah, IMDb that's, uh, that's IMDb ranks it as a nine point one. It has a meta score of eighty nine, and um, uh, this is definitely a a ten entry for me as far as movies go. This would definitely I don't know if it would be on my top 10, but it would definitely be in the top 20 and, and definitely would oh, be yeah. the number, the number one fantasy science fiction kind of a uh, uh, movie. Definitely the best of all time in that genre. 
for sure. The whole trilogy, yeah. I mean, all three of those clock in at the top 15 on IMDb. So, which is, you know, out of the whatever, however, millions of movies that are made, to have all three be in the top 15. Um, but, you know, just by normal, as rated by normal people. Um, yeah, and incredible. this one comes in as number seven of greatest movies of all time. So, um Considering it's such a specialized genre and it appears in the top 10 amongst all yeah, these great dramas and, and whatnot, it uh, definitely belongs to be there. But it, it's also a story of, uh, of kind of the survival of mankind and the survival of, of you know, a world. I mean, there's so the world. <laughs> exactly. There's there's so many underlying uh, themes to this. Um, really, I mean, um the good versus evil. The, uh, yeah. There's racism involved in it. There's uh, very much sexism so. there's to, the... an, to an extent. Uh-huh. Uh, b- yeah. Bigotry. Uh, you know, all of the human em- emotions are played on in this yeah. fantasy movie, which uh, you you definitely do not get that in any other series um, that that uh, falls under not so much science fiction, but just the fantasy aspect of it. There's nothing else like it. Yeah. How everyone. How all the different. Um... Uh, races and factions kind of put everything aside to battle against uh, the all-powerful evil uh-huh. and because they know it's 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 the thing to do and it's yeah it's 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 an incredible story um if you guys and, uh, peter peter jackson it, about it. yeah if you don't know this i don't know what to tell yeah. you but uh yeah it's worth a rewatch definitely and if you haven't seen it for god's sake fucking watch the movie it's, it's yeah so good. watch it you watch uh, it on Peter TNT Jackson, uh, once a month. The the uh, one tip of the cap to Peter Jackson, and I'm not a, a huge Peter Jackson fan other than what he did with this movie, but the one thing that he did an incredibly good job of was he kept it so close to the book. Um, Very much so, yeah. Uh, there's, there's no switching around, which, of course, you know, Tolkien is uh, – how can you switch any of this stuff around? But uh, it, as Hollywood would do, there's a lot of things that could have been left left out, uh, could have been uh, left on the editor's floor, but they remained in the movie. He pushed mm-hmm. really hard uh, to, you know, you know, fuck it. It's a three hour movie and, and that's the way it's going to be. And people are going to love it. And they sure as fuck did. And uh, yeah. you know, they grossed, I, I think, uh, as of now, uh, since its release, uh, we're talking like $1.4 billion worldwide. And, and that doesn't include the merchandise. That's just movie right. receipts. And uh, so can't say shot enough for about shot. it. Shot for shot, the, these are uh, some of the most beautiful movies ever shot. I mean, they really are from a cinematography yeah. aspect. Um, I mean, every scene is just right on point. Uh, it was shot mostly in New Zealand, which... Um, you know, I guess if I ever get on an airplane, that's one of the places I need to go because, um, yeah, I mean, shot for shot, it's it's one of the most beautiful, um, especially this one, but all of them, uh, just the, they're just a, a marvel to look at, you know, yeah. aesthetically. The the heaviness of of how uh, aesthetically pleasing it is and how beautiful the the scenery and whatnot is. The easiest way to speak to that is the fact that as soon as the movies came out, like New Zealand's tourism industry, like tripled overnight just because people people wanted to see uh, this amazing landscape and uh, and the Mm -hmm. Hobbit houses were were actually that were actually built. 
uh, into the ground. They're not just movie sets. They're actually there and they're right. still there. They're right. still a yeah. big part of uh, tourism there. So yeah, just an amazing accomplishment. And uh, it definitely sets the standard for all, all fantasy based movies to come and the special effects. They, they were cutting edge and, and they set the tone for everything that has come since, you know, really. So there you have it. That's my number four. Good, good, yeah. That's uh, that's easily, easily. Uh, so, what are we on three? Yep, number three. So I think I was in uh, uh, this when this movie came out. I I was all about you know cinema, going to the movies like you know five six times a month, seeing shows that just just to go see a movie. Right. Um, I mean, I would go see some crappers sometimes, but it's just because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to expand my, um, you know, my viewing um, habit, my viewing uh, catalog and stuff. And so uh, I remember seeing I was at a 3D movie. I think it was one of the Harry Potter, one of the last Harry Potter movies. Um, and it was in the 3D where you wear those glasses that make you fucking dizzy and sick to your stomach. Yeah. The goggles. And, um, the goggles, yes. And uh, for one of the previews, they said, put your goggles on. Okay, so we put our goggles on. I don't know if you were with me uh, for this movie or not. I know Eddie was there. Um, but we're sitting there and we're watching it. And one of the previews came on. And it's this kid on a boat out in the middle of nowhere. Um, out in the middle of the ocean, right? Uh-huh. Uh, the kid, a boat, a tiger, and this fish comes flying in right from out of the side of my head, like right in front of my face, and lands in this boat. And there's a wrestling match over this fish, and I'm like, "What the fuck am I watching here?" And this was the whole tray. It was the whole teaser. It was this kid wrestling, battling this fish, and, and just like this beautiful, like dreary fucking ocean. Um, you know, it's like, what what is this? And then it it flashed, coming soon. Da 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 da. Um, it's from 2012. It's Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. I, and um, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know anything about it when the awards came out, which it was um, nominated for a whole fleet of awards. Yeah, it won all kinds of shit. Yeah. yeah, it was directed by Ang Lee. Um, and it, it lost Best Picture. He did get the director um, Oscar, but it did lose Best Picture to Argo, which I had seen at the time. I had not seen Life of Pi yet. Uh, looking at it now, I'm I'm okay. Argo is a good movie, um, so I'm not really bitter well, that yeah, it we're lost. both real big a- Affleck uh, fans, right? Anyways, you know, so right. Uh, and I mean, Argo was a uh, politically charged enough and relevant enough uh, movie to where I wasn't upset that this lost. Uh, but after I saw it, I started watching it, and it's it's basically the story of of survival, and it's. Um, kind of this this kid that's well he's a man it it, it starts in present day and uh, this journalist the guy lives in canada this journalist comes to visit him he hears about this tale of survival that this kid um had where he was crossing the, the atlantic ocean uh to america it was shipwrecked marooned at sea for x amount of weeks and survived and made it you know, to the mainland and is now living a productive life in society. And he, he wants to get the scoop on it. And the guy's name is Pi. And so it starts by giving kind of a, a flashback backstory. And, uh, you know, he was, 
he was living in, um, I'm pretty sure he was living in India and his family owned like a zoo kind of thing. And uh, they were getting ready to relocate to America. So they pack all the animals up and things like this. And, and a storm hits the, hits the boat they're on and uh, sinks the boat. He's shipwrecked and uh, he gets on a lifeboat with himself, a monkey, a tiger, and a hyena are, are all that survive and land on this boat. And so he's got to battle the elements. He's got to battle these animals. He's got to battle survival. And he's got to, more, uh, more importantly, he's got to put his faith in God, right? Which God is, I'm not going to get into the religion aspect of it too much. But it's just more of a uh, movie that kind of makes you question whether or not there's a higher power out there. And so he re relives the tale of his story of survival to this journalist guy. And he needs to convince the journalist um, that, you know, that God helped him get through and survive. Um, it's just a, an amazing tale of survival. And uh, it's right on par with a, a beauty as it is, um, as it is with the story itself. So the soundtrack, the cinematography, um, and the story itself all make it just one epic movie, um, Life of Pi from 2012. It's uh, it's it's a really good. It's two uh, clocks in it, just over two hours. Um, right. It's kind of a drama, fantasy, adventure, all mixed into one. There's a lot of uh, a lot of elements to it, and it's a beautiful movie to watch. If I didn't say that, I mean, um, I didn't see it in 3D. Unfortunately, had I uh, known about it more. I would go back in time and I would watch it in 3D because just in high def and 4K, it's just an amazing um, piece of uh, cinema to watch. So it's um, that's my number number three. It won four Oscars and all together worldwide, it had 131 nominations at all of the major awards internationally. Um, but a total of uh, 28 nominations between both the Oscars and the Golden Globes. It gets a 79 Metascore, and IMDb uh, gives it a 7.9 um, and shows up as um, uh, number 548 as an all-time movie. And for a, uh, a movie that won four Oscars and set all kinds of standards for cinema uh uh the way uh all the photography was done and and the uh inclusion of the 3d effects and and how all that was filmed is yeah this movie was surprisingly low uh these yeah, scores on this movie was kind of shot for like 3d but at the uh -huh. same time unlike a lot of 3d movies uh you can just watch it on a regular tv and you're like wow this is a gorgeous movie yeah um and, and it did win for visual effects and cinematography uh, as it should have, um, and the score in it is incredible. It's another one of those. Um, the score is done by a fellow named Michael Dana. Uh, okay, European fellow, I guess. Um, uh, is he part and, of and, the uh, Indian car, uh, Indi Indian I, entourage that was real I, big I, with all of this? I believe he probably could be by the name. Uh, let me look him up real quick. He is from. Director is Ang Lee and the Ang writer, Lee, which I, I'm not a big Ang Lee guy, but this is is uh, 
this it's is by a great... far his his life's work. I mean, it's what he's going to be remembered for. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, this yeah. is uh, actually the and and every time we we do these lists, like at the Oscar parties or before the premiere of like we did it a couple times for Game of Thrones and and whatnot. There's always a couple of things that you throw in that I. Uh, not necessarily didn't see it coming, but uh, definitely uh, uh, an unexpected entry to be this high for sure. But yeah, um, I, I love only... Life of Pi. I really love Life of Pi. It's it's got it, it's got a lot of messages that that uh, that need to come out that people you know need to be reminded of, uh, especially right now. I have steered clear of rewatching this movie. Uh, this is just going to be a funny, uh, uh, rudder story here in just a second, but, uh, I steered clear of watching this movie because the first time I did watch it, uh, I, uh, was in the middle of a really epic mushroom trip and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I ended up, uh, on the living room floor underneath a blanket, uh, hiding from the tiger and uh, yes. just having a grand old fucking time with uh, with the visuals on everything. So um, that is uh, that was well my you first... should have, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first exposure to the movie, and I watched it uh, sober one time after that. And just the, uh, it, I believe I watched the, I watched it uh, while tripping and then sober too close together. Uh, watching mm-hmm. it sober, all I could think of was, "Oh, that this scene was awesome." Whenever I was tripping, and yeah. uh, so uh, <laughs> um, I definitely this is a along with Dead Poets. This is something I need to give a clean watch to because uh, I have not even pulled it up to look at it in seven years. To be honest with you, since it first came out, yeah. Well, that's that's why you got me here. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> To to come running in out of the bullpen and and uh, throw that change up at you, so yeah, good, uh, definitely a good entry, and and by the Oscars and the nominations and everything, it definitely belongs uh, on anybody's top ten list. Uh, looking at these IMDb scores, I'm just blown away that it's uh, another movie that's so low um, for something that is probably a ten on ninety percent of the rest of the world's list, uh, not on IMDb. But uh, anyways, well, you yeah. know, what do you do? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, number three, um, my number three entry is uh, a movie from 1980. It's actually the second installment of a <laughs> franchise that has gone on uh, my entire lifetime. And, uh, it is rated 8.7 on IMDb, and um, it was nominated for 13 awards, only winning one, uh, visual effects, obviously. Um, uh, you've got uh, Mark Hamill, you've got Carrie Fisher, you've got Harrison Ford, you have Billy D. Williams, you have all of these silly little characters. The movie starts out on a planet of ice, which they soon get the fuck out of. It's actually directed by Irvin Kirshner. Most people, yeah, most people definitely uh, attribute the uh, original uh, trilogy of Star Wars movies entirely to George Lucas, and that's not actually the case. Uh, Irvin uh, directed this, 
and uh, Lee uh, Brackett uh, adapted the screen uh, adapted George Lucas's story to the screenplay itself. So um, uh, Lucas was not as involved in this movie as everybody. I think history kind of fades everybody's attention to detail a little bit. This is not an entire Lucas uh, uh, done film. This uh, he only played a part of it. But Empire Strikes Back. Lawrence um, Kasdan wrote this too. Uh, yeah, he he does. Uh, he yeah. gets credit for uh, writing in, in this as well. You're right. Um, but uh, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, episode um, Episode five, actually, is, is where it is. It's the second installment of the original trilogy. And uh, uh, I was a 10-year-old lad, and I got to uh, see this on opening. <laughs> <Ten-year-old lad. laughs> yes, you like that. Uh, yeah. I got to see this on opening weekend. And I got to see it many times afterwards, uh, both at the theaters and the drive-in. And every time I get an opportunity to see it, whether even though I own the digital copies and, and everything else, you know, on Father's Day weekend or Thanksgiving weekend, whenever they show the marathon, I always watch Empire. I love Empire so much, uh, just a big part of my childhood. And uh, definitely my favorite installment of uh, all of the nine uh, Skywalker stories. Um, and that, so the, the only reason it got on the list is because it did squeak in the one win, uh, of Oscars. I almost left it, left it off until I was looking through everything and I saw that it did get the, the <laughs> one for uh, visual. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's not, there's not much more to say about it other than empire strikes back again. You've got John Williams doing the score. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, just definitely a legend had already been born with uh, episode four and, and new hope and everything. But uh, again, my favorite installment of all of them. So uh, the scene, uh, we know how everybody knows now how I feel about, you know, movies with snow in them. Right. I, I talked. Uh, yeah. Gotta watch. It. <laughs> I, I, I talked at length um, a while back about how, you know, I could I could just watch someone you know, ice fish for freaking two hours and I'd be okay with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, uh, ironically enough, this was of the original trilogy. This was the last one that I saw just because, um, you know, star Wars was out on HBO and back then when they came out, they didn't come out until like several years. They didn't yeah. come out on VHS until several years after the theatrical release. And I was fortunate enough to see Return of the Jedi in the theater, and I'd already seen Star Wars. So this was the one. It was like, I haven't seen this one. I need to see it. I need to know what's going on. Uh, and when the, the first time I saw it, I was just, I was amazed by it. I mean, this is, of all of the all of the, uh, the nine Star Wars movies, this is the most beautiful one to look at easily. Um, and it's also the most complete movie, I think, out of all of them. Uh, the scene where uh, Luke goes to confront uh, the evil in the cave, uh, being a you know being like eight or nine, however old old I was, and uh, I couldn't watch that scene with the lights out. It scared the shit out of me, dude. Right, where he he strikes down Vader and the mask explodes and it's his face inside of there. It was just and like everybody's what the fuck did I? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> everybody's first exposure to the idea yeah. that Vader is the father and that they are related and. Like it was very well hidden at that point because, of course, yeah. they didn't have the internet and all of the other teaser 
uh, well, websites and, and all that stuff, but it was our first exposure to that. And the crew, I mean, none of the, the actors even knew. Um, I mean, they kept it that closely guarded of a secret, and that's kind of, you know, even now, all the Star Wars are, are still, even though they're putting out, in my opinion, a lot of subpar material these days, they still keep all of the um, all of the story pretty much under wraps and closely guarded. Um, yeah, completely closed sets. They can't walk yeah. off set with any of their uh, theatrical garb on. They can't be in costume. They have to, you know, yeah, they do. They go to great lengths to keep everything secret. Yeah, the Imperial Walkers, the Tauntauns, the freaking uh, the Bounty Hunters. I mean, everything in this. And this is the first time that you hear the uh, the Imperial March. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The first time that comes on, where the Vader's kind of looking, you know, out across the fleet as they're, you know, flying through space, and and this just this thunderous freaking uh, score comes on, and you're like, wow, this is cool. I have it. Uh, it's a ringtone uh, that I have on my phone <laughs> always for somebody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenal phenomenal movie. Um. The Star Wars as a whole, or uh, I, I, I don't place them one movie as I don't when I rank them. I don't really rank them as as a movie by itself. I kind of rank it as like the whole franchise. Um, right, that's just me. So they don't come in in my top ten uh, all time favorites, but they're you know just because of the sum of all the parts. Um, but this movie in itself is is a ten, a ten, 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 ten. Yeah, um, easily. Yeah, across the board, the acting is great. The action is great. The special effects were just coming into their own, so they're able to... For what they were, yeah, they were incredible. They they took just a a light year's jump from uh, the 1977 release of the original Star Wars Episode Four to the Empire Strikes Back special effects um, just uh, uh, generations ahead. Uh, Within three years, they were able to create an entire production company that specialized in special yep. effects just because mm-hmm. of this movie you know so yeah uh, it it set the standard for everything to to follow afterwards and and uh as a as a lifelong star wars fan there's a lot of star wars fans out there that are haters on a lot of different episodes and i'm i generally don't fall into that category i love all of them just some of them i love more uh right. but this is uh, definitely at the top of the li- at the top of the yeah. list for me yeah, as far as any of the episodes. Yeah, all, all the planets are. I mean, you, you got you got uh, Dagobah. You uh-huh. know, you got you see the Cloud City. You see, you got, uh, yeah, you got Cloud City. Um, it's your first exposure to Yoda, and you're like, wow, this. I mean, he, it, when you first see him, he comes off as like this like, kind of weird, like eccentric, yeah. like what the fuck is this guy? Kind of like this, this <laughs> interstellar little homeless hermit. What the fuck is going on with this? <laughs> Yeah, what's well, this clown shoe motherfucker? And then when you, <laughs> and then when you're like, you know, yeah. when he finds out that Luke finds out that that's who he's actually looking for, and uh, it just totally flips the script. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the legend like, wow. and the uh, the legend uh-huh. and, the, and the actual appearance they do not match up right. because he thinks no, it's this uh, no. great great warrior who yeah you know he expects uh, to and, see uh, some like Obi Wan <laughs> kind of guy, and he sees. He sees this little green fucker stealing his lunch and shit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, getting in, uh, 
getting in a fight with his droid over <laughs> over trinkets and shit. Um, yeah, the tug of war uh, with R two D two, one of the funniest funniest <laughs> scenes. Yeah. period. Uh, right. It's just yeah. hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> he's all digging through Luke shit, jo- you know, Jones and all this stuff. It's it's pretty pretty funny. It's and then uh, it turns real dark real quick. Um, uh-huh. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, this this is a great movie. Great movie for uh, for anyone. Again, if if we gotta explain the story of Star Wars to you, then you know maybe you need to listen to another podcast first. Yeah, that's so, probably yeah. not the podcast for you. Even though we do specialize in TV series, if uh, still uh, this, if you don't know this movie, I don't know what what the fuck you got going on. So that's, that's number a- three for me, brother. That's that's a great segue to this is the one that I figured we would both have on our list at number two from 1977 when I was a little homie. Um, I first saw it in 82. I was five years old. I was in kindergarten and we ha- I was living again in Colorado. I, everything happens when I live in Colorado. This time I was living in Meeker, Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember watching it with my sister. It was We had like a little black and white i think it was probably a 10 inch or whatever with the little hbo viewing for you it it was hbo right and it had the little box on top with the 12 Mm -hmm. buttons and you had 12 channels you're like wow man you were living it up right and i remember the the hbo theme and then (laughs) and then uh here comes the crawl the noise the fox noise the crawl and Uh it was star wars uh star wars episode four a new hope um this was really the first movie that I can remember watching. Um, and I was thinking, wow, this is different. Um, and it really kind of got my, my love for, uh, got me, got the taste of, you know, the, the cinema bug. And, uh, I really found my love for movies with the first original star Wars, which is like I said, I'm sure there was other movies that I'd seen, but you know, when you're that young, it's it's hard to remember a lot of the stuff right to be um, the first movie the one that definitely stands out that i remember you, this remember is the watching. one i remember yeah. clearly right i remember from the opening scene where uh vader takes over the ship and the fight with the stormtroopers and the rebels and then the first time you see darth vader and you're like wow that guy is fucking pretty crazy right. yeah um you know and it's uh, for you know a, a five-year-old it's kind of a scary movie to you know opening sequence um and then you got the droids and you got luke and you got you know the old man kind of emperor sorcerer kind of kind of mentor thing going on and then you got you know the princess and you got the the kind of hustler and his sidekick with han solo it had a little bit of everything uh story-wise and it it was kid-friendly enough to where it would hold my interest uh from start to finish which Dude, I can't sit through a two-hour movie now at 42, <laughs> let alone when I was like five. Um, so for this to hold my interest the whole time, um, well, it was incredible. I mean, it had you know the space battle at the end. Um, I mean, this has everything that a sci-fi uh, person could want, or that you know just a a, a fan of movies could want in it. Um, don't need to go into it too much uh, more than that. Um, you know, that's my, my number two is Star Wars, A New Hope. Um, you know, as soon as you hear the music start, you're like, oh, okay. You know, again, John Williams is the man. Um, yeah. 
you know, he scored scored all of the Star Wars movies from from the beginning of the world to date. And, uh, you know, this was the one that started it all for me. And so that's my number two um, on my list. Okay. Uh, it uh, gets um, a 90 meta score uh, rated as a um, rated as number number uh, six all time on the all time movie list. It gets an 8.6 on IMDb. Um, and uh, it uh, was nominated uh, for a lot. And it did actually, um, I think it uh, in total, it had four, 15 nominations. It won seven Oscars and one Golden Globe. Um, so it, it definitely got a lot of critical acclaim. It got, uh, of course, huge box office. And uh, definitely set the standard for everything to follow for modern science fiction. If it uh, absolutely, if it, if it wants to be anything, it has to compare to an approach being as good as Star Wars. If it's going to be another, you know, space science fiction drama, and this has everything. It has character development. It has a little bit of uh, a little bit of terror in it or horror. The way that. Uh, uh, Darth Vader uh, comes on screen. Um, uh, you get uh, your first introduction to Skywalker and understand uh, Harrison Ford. You get to you get some comedy, and you get to this is the first uh, movie where you get to see so many strange creatures that play such a big part uh-huh. in aliens in entire, and droids and Jawas yeah. and shit. And uh, yeah, the fact it is it really is a together on movie. screen and the way that they did the yeah. editing, considering this is 1977, just uh, um, epic, epic. Uh, this is us, uh, Lucas and 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 crew, uh, definitely at their at their best uh, as far as creativity and bringing something that no one had seen before. Um, I I do want to add just a little side note to this, so um. Because this story just popped in my head. I remember uh, reading about it. So Alec Guinness, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, mm-hmm. kind of Luke Skywalker's mentor in this. Um, and it's your first exposure to kind of like the Jedi is is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, he was on the set of a movie called Murder by Death in 1976. He was shooting and uh, he actually received the script for this and he was reading the script uh for star wars mm-hmm. um didn't he leave the set on well he he absolutely hated his character i mean he did i think he owed somebody a favor or uh what he did no what he did was he he actually said he would do it um for um as long as he could receive some of the proceeds from from rather than take a salary he decided he was going to take some of the the box office proceeds which <laughs> smart was, man uh, an incredibly smart move considering how much he hated uh, the script. He hated the the dialogue and he just thought it was kind of hokey or whatever. Uh, and this turned out to be a career defining. And I mean, this is a guy bridge on the river Kwai. I mean, he's a, he, Alec Guinness was, did not need to establish himself as an actor. Well, actually uh, when he took um, this role. Whenever Lucas proposed to Alec Guinness to, they chased Alec Guinness uh, to no end and gave in to him on the right. royalty rights because right. he was the heavy on set. He was the one who was established, and he gave. He was the only well-known the one. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I just I, I I remember hearing that story 
about how how he he just was reading this ridiculous uh, script uh, on set, and he he decided that he was going to go ahead and something in him said just go ahead and do it. Um, I guess because maybe he didn't have anything else going on at that time in his career, <laughs> um, right? But yeah, yeah, and that was you know Ewan McGregor actually who plays Obi Wan in the newer trilogy actually modeled all of his mannerisms and oh, he did the a way really he good job around around him. Alec Guinness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I just wanted to add that to it real quick. Yeah, definitely good, good notes there uh, for sure. Uh, New Hope, um, uh, definitely the standard for, for everything to follow. That's, that's goddamn sure. Um, okay. Uh, so that's uh, number two. That's my you? number two. Yep. My okay. number two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number two and my number one uh, kind of have a uh, tie-in together. And uh, during the uh, the year of uh, uh, 77 and 78, um, my father did a couple of uh, great things for me whenever it comes to seeing movies. And um, my number two entry is something that um, my number one is something that has given me great joy and I've loved everything that has come out about it ever since. But number two is something that caused uh, just absolute fucking terror for me and scarred me uh, in a major motherfucking kind of a way. And, and uh, the movie itself came out in 1975, but I got to see it for the first time at the drive-in as a double feature with Star Wars. And, um, mm. as soon as you hear the music, um, you hear the heavy bass and, uh, you see the water moving and, uh, <laughs> you see the, in the very first scene, uh, where there's an interaction with it, uh, you see the girl get drugged underwater, you know, that chomp chomp, she just lost a foot. Now there's a leg and then boom, she's gone. I was fucked up chomp, for chomp chomp, chomp chomp. <laughs> yeah. Chompy chomp. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, uh, fucked up for probably a good year and a half whenever it came to being around water. And oh, yeah. Uh, the movie, of course, is Jaws. And um, just an absolutely horrific premise. Um, and uh, directed by Spielberg, written by uh, uh, Peter Benchley. Um, who adapted? Uh, who did the adaptation for the screenplay for uh, Spielberg? W- uh, came out in '75. It gets an 8.1 on IMDb. Its meta score is uh, 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 86. And yeah, it's very was, solid. Yeah. Uh, nominated a total of eight times, won three Oscars, won a Go- Globe. You get Roy Scheider. You get Robert Shaw's Quint. Uh, one of the most iconic roles ever. Best sideburns ever. Fuck yeah, dude! Uh, drinking his fucking. I love those sideburns. Yeah, with the uh, yeah. tilt hands and and the big sideburns and fucking munching yeah. on crackers and his little feud with uh, <laughs> uh, Richard Dreyfus and uh, mm-hmm. Lorraine uh, uh, Gray as the uh, as uh, Roy Scheider's wife. Um, just uh, I hopefully I don't have to go into a whole lot of plot detail. Jaws is 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 Jaws. I mean, if you don't know what it is, it's uh, it's it spawned people's fear of sharks, uh, uh, fuck, whether it's yes. justified or not. Um, yeah, I, I there's not a that I can't 
I can't express uh, how much terror it caused for me other than the fact that I was a epic everyday swimmer uh, and I avoided the public fucking swimming pool for an entire summer after seeing this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the first weekend after seeing the movie, I jumped into the deep end. I'm going to go do my thing. And you know how mm-hmm. like the water, the shadows in the, in the deep end of a public swimming pool, you see oh, yeah. shit moving. Well, I saw fucking jaws yeah. coming for me yeah. and I could not get out of the water fucking fast enough. And, uh, for an entire summer, I, I, it, it literally fucked with me. If I was underwater with my eyes closed, I could feel that motherfucking shark coming to get me. It's stuck. And my dad did such a horrible thing. Who in their right fucking mind takes a seven-year-old to go see this fucking uh, movie? Um, uh, so that's, uh, uh, one of the most horrible things he uh, uh, did to me uh, psych- psychologically, uh, definitely. I, I had a hard time ever recovering from that until I was a teenager. Then I was able to get past it and everything. But that, uh, when it, my first introduction to Jaws and seeing it at the drive-in, uh, I was absolutely fucking terrified. And so was the rest of America whenever it came out in 1975. I mean, it grabbed all kinds of headlines. It broke box office records. The the robotic shark itself that never actually acted properly on set. The reason you only get to see, you know, four or five actual good scenes with the shark is because the robot itself never performed the way it was supposed to. So they had to film around it uh, instead of including it in, in the filming of the movie. And that's why Robert Quint um, or I'm sorry, Robert Shaw uh, moves to the foreground along with uh, Roy Scheider and, and Richard Dreyfus. It becomes more of an, of an actor driven uh, uh, movie, which at concept, it was all going to circulate around the shark and this big giant robot that they made that never actually functioned properly at all. <laughs> which yeah. if you watch, watch the behind the scenes stuff now, it's, it's actually, it's it, damn near a Greek fucking tragedy. How, how uh, a, a close it came comedy. to. Yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, the fact that it, it came very close to not each actually being completed because they had so many fucking problems with the, uh, the robot shark. It was way ahead of its time. If this was to come out now with the special effects going on, I don't know if it would be as truly terrifying because 1975 or 1977, when I saw it for the first time, it was a very innocent time in history. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I think it would be, I I think it would be, um, you know, even though now, uh, people have been really exposed to the horror genre a lot. Um, I really feel like uh, Spielberg is that kind of our tour that he could, he could really, um, you know, make it seem fresh and make it seem, um, you know, very real. Uh, Even to this day, I I think he, I really think it could. Um, Although it does, you know, watching it, you can definitely see the seventies in it, um, you know, with the wardrobe and, and everything. But, um, yeah, yeah. This is most definitely uh, one of those movies where it's like, yeah, <laughs> don't go near the water, kind of thing. Yeah, and and one of the, uh, to me at least, one of my favorite pieces of dialogue from the entire thing is whenever he's talking to Dreyfus about uh, how scared he is of the water, and he is like, "Well, being mm-hmm. scared of the water is a really weird thing for a guy who lives on an island." And he says, "It's only an island if you look at it from the water." <laughs> <laughs> right yeah 
I can I can definitely identify with that fucking logic. That really uh I understand yeah. that completely and and but uh it just scarred me, man. Fucking scarred me and I can't think of any other movie that uh did other than the fact that may, uh, because I saw Exorcist at such a young age. Um but uh just the fact that you know it's it's just a a campy fish story the fact that it, uh-huh. it ranks up there with the exorcist as far as a true horror movie um yeah. it speaks volumes about it at least for me it does and anybody who um remembers whenever it was released uh for kids who would see it now i don't know if it would uh you know, instantly uh, rank as a classic for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, really, yeah. You know, well, they don't like anything that's you know old. So <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, for me, this movie is is uh, like the Angie. She gets upset with me. She's like, "You can't even watch Shark Week. Why are we watching Jaws?" And and mm-hmm. she's right. I fucking I'm terror this is uh it's something that stuck with me for life one of my i could never take a vacation to florida or california and enjoy the water there's no way i will never ever step foot in fucking ocean water ever period uh because of this movie really and you know for damn near 50 years this this movie has had that much of an impact on me i have no reason to yeah. be scared of the fucking water i can swim like a motherfucker but i'll never yeah. get in the fucking ocean you'll never talk me into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no um and that's and that's I mean, yeah that's horrific for a seven-year-old um, this, <laughs> yeah it, my dad thought it was a great idea because star yeah. wars was the uh double bill it was the main feature whenever it got dark yeah. And oh, we had already this. seen it, and uh, you right. know, I was like, "Oh right. yeah, I, I saw this uh, whenever it first came out. He'll be all right." Yeah. No, I yeah. wasn't. Oh, by right. the way, yeah, I don't even, <laughs> but, I don't even know yeah, if we actually we're stayed to near watch an ocean. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if we actually stayed to watch Star Wars. I was so freaked out, traumatized, and crying. Uh, yeah. I, I believe I ruined uh, every uh, uh, him and uh, the wife at the time. Uh, I believe I believe I completely ruined the excursion to the driving that night uh because uh jaws was just so fucking horrific dude yeah yeah <laughs> um so in 2007 bravo did a uh a really good um it was a, a mini series as a five-part mini series around halloween it was called bravo's 100 scariest movie moments and jaws uh-huh. clocked in at number one so yeah and that was i mean there was a lot of movies on here uh you know, The Exorcist was on there. Poltergeist was on there. Um, Texas Chainsaw. Night of the Living probably. Dead was on there. Texas Chainsaw. Uh, yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I mean, there was a lot of, like, movies with a lot of scary, freaky fucking shit on there. And this was uh, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, quick side note, this is how I got introduced to the movie Audition, uh, which is that Japanese uh, nightmare that we watched. That that was, like, uh-huh. that num- number two. 10 or something on there um that belongs yeah, there no. that was uh, uh rob zombie called that the uh, scariest movie he'd ever seen yeah it was um but no jaws uh, you know number one and this was you know after a whole slew of horror movies had come out by then uh it's still to this day is kind of the the gold standard um for you know any kind of uh deep sea kind of like adventure type movies 
anything yeah. like that or you know anything to do with, you know 47 meters down and uh the shallows all that they're great movies but they all owe it to jaws i mean so yeah and there's been uh many um attempts at doing you know the man-eating animal of whatever kind mm-hmm. you know like the gray they've done it with bears they've done it with right um, yeah you know they've done it with several different species and nothing comes anywhere close to the terror that feels that just as as humans the fear of the deep and not being able to see or protect or to fight off something you're completely out of your element out there yeah you know, you know you're you're um, in their yard and they control mm-hmm. the situation and and uh yeah totally terrifying yeah so that's uh, number two for me bro. absolutely absolutely it is so um my number one this may come as like a minor surprise to you uh, okay to me this is definitely the best movie that's been released in the last 10 years uh, if not of this century, uh, I like it that much. Um, okay. And it's it's the last of my Sam Rockwell um, movies. It's actually his Oscar-winning performance. It was nominated for seven awards. It did win two for uh, Rockwell one, and Francis McDormand won for uh, uh, actress, which I <clears throat> mistakenly predicted that Saoirse Ronan would win that year. Um, even though I knew McDormand, it was a better performance. Uh, but I just, you know, thought I knew the Academy, right? I was like, yeah, they're gonna go. With, they're gonna go with Saoirse Ronan because she's been nominated like five times already. She's an amazing actress at twenty-five. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I thought for sure she would win, even though I did like uh, Frances McDormand's performance, you know, far better. And uh, I'm just gonna cheat here and pull something up online. And it's uh, three derelict billboards sit on the edge of town of ebbing at the start of the film. They become Mildred's inspiration <laughs> to keep her daughter's death in mind of the police uh-huh. and her neighbors in order. The billboards say still no arrests. How come chief Willoughby raped while dying? That's actually the, <laughs> the opening scene uh, uh-huh. more or less uh, the movie. Um, she goes and buys three billboards Um that, that haven't been used in years. I mean, nobody advertises on billboards and nobody drives by that, um, you know, this uh, stretch of road. Why she decides, I guess she decides to put them up there um, because they're there. Um, so <clears throat> the movie is called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and it's directed by Martin McDonough, who's, in my opinion, one of the best directors out there right now. He's done in as Bruges. As far as uh, younger directors and people who are coming onto the scene, yeah, he's definitely a a powerhouse. He's done in Bruges. He's done uh, Seven Psychopaths, which Sam Rockwell is in again. Uh, He's done a lot of work with Colin Farrell. Um, But this movie uh, is also a clinic in acting. Um, And it's the story of Frances McDormand's daughter is is raped and murdered. several months before the story takes place and it's kind of this case has kind of gone cold and it's kind of just her journey to keeping the case alive keeping it in the in the forefront of the media and of the police force which is kind of one of those police forces that's i mean they're in missouri right so there's a little bit of racism there's a little bit of homophobia there's a little bit of um 
you know, all this that's kind of, you know, in in the force itself. And um, they're very and, misogynistic and they completely dismiss her and and the uh, the fact that this girl went through this. They're like, yeah, well, we you know, you can't we can't solve it. And they are really dismissive. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and the police chief is played by Woody Harrelson, who's I mean, dude, he's as charismatic as they come. I mean, I don't I can't think of a bad movie that Woody Harrelson's ever done. Um, and he's yeah. he, even, he's even plays he's, to the bone uh, was great. Right. Right. White man can't jump, dude. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Um, Shit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's 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 well loved in the community. Right. As the police chief and like the community itself takes um, takes these billboards as an attack on him and his lack of being able to do anything because there's just not evidence. There's not anything there. He really wants to to solve the case he wants to do what he can to solve the case um but he just doesn't have anything to go on and it's kind of his uh he's got this internal battle with he's also battling a terminal illness as well as yeah, trying to, to deal with this case same time. Yeah. and deal with the the media backlash from these billboards and things and uh, there's just so many layers to this movie um sam rockwell plays kind of a kind of a hot shot cop um who idolizes Woody, um, uh-huh. but at the same time, you know, he's got maybe some some leanings that aren't exactly, you know, uh, on the up and up. Um, yeah, he wants to make his own mark, and he's also right. a little corrupt. Right. Um, and it's just, uh, I, I mean, if I were to see this movie 10 years ago, I would like it, but it wouldn't be tops on my list. But now that I'm I'm a parent and I have a daughter, and one day she's going to be a teenager, and one day she's going to be you know, one day she's going to want to try to be independent. One day she's going to, you know, be rebellious. One day she may, you know, go out and do some stuff that I may not be okay with. And right. I will, I will worry about that. And I, I will, you know, I, I will worry about her, you know, <laughs> every minute that she's gone. Uh-huh. Uh, I, wor- I worry about her, you know, playing on the couch right now for fuck's sake. So, um, right. you know, uh, and this is kind of a, Frances McDormand it's like her unwavering love she has an, another son that kind of gets pushed into the you know pushed off to the side because she launches this smear slash um, awareness campaign for her daughter uh, to try to bring you know the the guy the perpetrator to justice and uh, a lot of layers to this um, Peter Dinklage is in this movie uh, I mentioned Woody Harrelson um, uh, John Hawks, who's who's another underrated, uh, another underrated kind of plays the uh, the father that's that uh, is kind of you know wanting Mildred to back off a little bit, um, you know, and, and just kind of focus about focus on you know raising the family that's in front of her type thing. Um, it's as it's a just an amazing piece. Uh, it's an amazing movie. And the fact that it lost at the Oscars for Best Picture, uh, to me, is a travesty. I mean, Guillermo del Toro won for um, The Shape of Water, which was, you know, in itself, it was kind of a creative, yeah. like, monster movie, whatever. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, I get it. But yeah, yeah. It, it holds, it doesn't hold a candle to this movie. No. Um, yeah, this it's is, preposterous. This is, um, 
this is the most influential movie to me right now. Maybe because it was it's so fresh, came out in 2017. Um, maybe it's because I'm a new father. Maybe it's just because it's a damn good story. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies that you just watch it. And these characters, you know, these act, they're not actors in this. They're they're real people. They're real characters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you get so engrossed with the story and so engaged with it. Uh, that by the end of it, you know, you're you're actually rooting for Rockwell and you're <laughs> they kind of become allies when at the at the beginning of the movie, they're kind of adversaries, him and Francis McDormand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, she <laughs> you know, she blows up the police station and stuff because she's so pissed at their lack of, um, you know, their lack of ability to get anything done. Um as an anti-hero and the uh, person that you can yes. sympathize with all at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, uh, she re- really she powerful. Really, yeah. And this role they said was, was written for her. She did not want to take it. Um, she, you know, she just didn't think that she was right for it. Uh, she didn't think she could, could do it. And her husband, Joel Cohen said, you know, just take the damn thing. Um, it was yeah. written for you. They want you to do it. Take the role. And um, she knocked it out of the park in this. Uh, and Sam Rockwell did too. Um, yeah. Woody Harrelson, also uh, Oscar nominated. And if Rockwell was not in this movie, Woody Harrelson would have won a supporting actor. Uh, he's that good in it. Um, it it's, it's just a, it's a great movie. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, uh, top rated movies all- of all time. It, it shows up as number 149. It won two Oscars internationally it had 222 nominations worldwide for all of the big movie shows and another 129 wins including the golden globes and the sags and so on and so forth yeah uh, this was very much an independent movie i mean it wasn't a big it wasn't a blockbuster it wasn't a big budget it wasn't i mean it was at the sundance it was the cans it was at all the movies so it's very independent movie which to me i enjoy them more because i feel they're more character driven than than the big right. than the big budget and that's the kind of movies i kind of steer toward a lot is character driven yeah it's um, not a big movies. it's not a big studio piece it's it's more no. uh, it's more about the ensemble and, and the, a, the writing a, and direction it's very much a passion project and it comes out in this movie um so yeah that's my that's my number one yeah, my um, eight point two is what it gets scored on IMDb. Its meta score is significantly higher. At, well, not significantly, but it's eighty eight. Um, like I said, number one forty nine on movies of all time. And um, my first exposure to it was um, watching it with you. Yeah, and um, probably, I just fell in love with the movie instantly. And yeah, probably back to back, like, hey, dude, let's watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we did watch it uh, twice in the same weekend. I think that was a, uh, a um, that wasn't a Thanksgiving weekend. Whenever I came in from Wisconsin, but it was uh, like a holiday kind of weekend where we did see it. We watched it a yeah. couple times at least. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it definitely a movie that sticks with you. The um, social injustice and the social mirroring, the social implications going on like i said francis mcdermott uh being the anti uh hero uh and at the end of it becoming a heroine because she is so driven and uh working against the establishment to 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 get things to come together at the end in a very strange way 
the way it was uh-huh. written yeah, and right. and uh, the way they wrap it up uh, genius uh storytelling really because you don't it's, see the ending coming no not uh, at all until until you know like the last 20 minutes of the movie it makes sense but you never saw it coming that way you never saw it going down that way and and you didn't you definitely didn't see her and and Rockwell um uh joining forces there at the Teaming end to and, take and, to go take care of business kind of yeah, thing um, yeah yeah and i also um, want to give a shout out to the soundtrack in this it's uh it, it's it's understated um there's not a lot of music but the pieces that are in it are perfect um there's a mozart piece in there but there's also uh some stuff written by the band joan baez uh has uh does a great rendition of uh the night they drove old dixie down in the bar scene uh okay which, yeah which is really cool uh a couple towns van zant uh songs in there so uh, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack as well. I thought they were perfectly placed. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, the right soundtrack will do wonders for a movie. And so this, absolutely, you know, look at all of our references to uh, John Williams, you know, I mean, uh, you've got, uh, yeah, sound in movies goes a long, long way. Yeah, for sure. So that's awesome. That's, man. Uh, that's, that's, number, that's one, huh? number one. That's great. That's my number one. Yeah. Yeah, that is a, a surprise. Um, I wouldn't expect it not to be on any of your uh, top list or anything, but coming in at number one for influence. And I understand the resonance that it hits with you as being a new father of a little girl. Uh, there's uh, so many times in the uh, tw- uh, it, almost 20 years now that we've uh, we've hung out that uh, yeah. I'm sure there were instances that I was going through with my daughter, Audrey, where you uh-huh. probably looked at me like, uh, dude, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and now you sure. get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, little girls do strange things to uh, strong men. That's for sure. You know, that is the uh, one thing you have to protect first and foremost. And and uh, this mother losing that battle and uh, but uh, not giving up on that battle. Right. Even after death, she, uh, she will uh, not just, lose uh, the war. Yeah, no, yeah. So, yeah, epic storytelling and and just a, a great overall well written movie. And like like you said, Martin uh, McDonough, he is uh, becoming uh, uh, he's, he's the man. He's, a generational yeah. talent, that's for yeah. sure. A, a brilliant writer director, um, right up there to me, right up there right now with uh, with the Coens, with Wes Anderson, with uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, I like him that much. So really, okay, so, yeah, All yeah, right. yeah, I do. Okay, I would see. I, I, I would have. I wouldn't have been surprised if you would have given him category B to them being the A's, but uh, being in the same, uh, the same league. Yeah, man, uh, that's awesome. So uh, number one for me. Uh, a little while ago, I told a story about the uh, summer of 1977. My father doing <laughs> a couple of great things to me. Uh, one was completely terrifying. The other one uh, has produced uh, literally a lifetime of uh, enjoyment and anticipation. Um, I'm not going to rehash everything that we have already covered, but my number one influential movie of all time is uh, New Hope. Episode four of Star Wars. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, my second Star Wars entry. Uh, uh, Empire being my favorite episode. New Hope. Uh, being number one because 
Uh, I mean, let's face it, 43 years later, they're coming yeah, out with new movies. The and I started seen, it all. Right. Yeah. And I've seen all of them on opening night. And this movie um, is the only exception. I did see this uh, the second weekend uh, that it was out, but uh, I was there by God. And this in 1977, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, before cosplay was ever a thing, uh, my dad takes me and he saw it the opening weekend, of course. Uh, and, uh, he was like, yeah, we got to go see this. And this is before the drive-in incident with Jaws. But, um, uh, we, we, <laughs> we go to Thankfully. the theater and I see these yeah. adults and they're, uh, I see a couple like really horrible wigs and makeups, people trying to be Chewbacca, uh, uh-huh. people, uh, wearing these horrible bathrobes, trying to look like a Jedi, uh, a couple of attempts at uh, body armor, like uh, uh, motocross body armor, trying to look like stormtroopers. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, what the fuck is going on with these people? And uh, then uh, you see the crawl, the opening scene, the music starts. And uh-huh. yeah, uh, you know, a love affair of a lifetime, basically, for me. I can't I can't I'm not like I've said before, and I'll, I'll always defend uh, the Star Wars story that there isn't a star Wars story that I hate. There are some that I love more than others. Uh, but I'm, I'm a, uh, as true a star Wars fan as can possibly be that, uh, I, uh, as part of my childhood and, uh, definitely in later years, middle age and, and, uh, becoming a decrepit old man in his fifties, I cannot wait to see everything that comes out and I can't watch it enough and I can't rewatch it enough. And, um, my love of movies, my, my love of theater truly started, uh, like you. Yeah. Uh, being right. the first movie you remember, um, this mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, definitely the first movie that I could not wait to see again. And every opportunity I got to see it again, I took and, and, which is what led to the Jaws incident. My dad sold me on, yeah, we're going to go see Star Wars again. <laughs> and then oh. this little show about a fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we got this other other movie. It might we be got a little this scary, fish tale. All right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the year of uh, 1977 and this uh, foul year of our Lord uh, was a very epic movie year for, uh, for Chris. For old, um, for old tum-tum. <laughs> for old tum-tum. Uh, yeah, I got totally fucked up and I got totally jacked up uh, all in the in the same year uh, seeing a great movie that was going to be part of my life. Of, of course, we did not know at that time because no, it wasn't really had released as a standalone. They did not have the right. trilogy in place at that point in time. And uh, it was the first of its kind, the first of the special effects and everything. And of course, it like we talked about before, it did clean up at the Oscars. It won a lot of awards and was nominated for even more. And uh, hundred completely surprised awards. everybody. Yeah, yeah. even uh, Lucas, I think. Yeah, it it definitely did take him by surprise because this was a a tip of the hat for him to westerns. This was a space opera, loosely based on westerns. Right. Um, uh, that was his original premise for it is let's take a Western and, and put it in space and we'll call it science fiction and, and see what we can do. And um, only because of uh, a couple of other things that he did, did the uh, studio take a huge leap of faith and actually go through with this. 
it was very close to never being made. And yeah, um, right. uh, then, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But uh, definitely the most influential movie period on any kind of list. And this always appears as number one on any of my all time list. Uh, you can't say enough about Star Wars, uh, A New Hope. Um, and that's uh, that's about all I got to say about that. There's uh, yeah, there's there's nothing else to say. That's that. that I mean, ten billion dollars later, and freaking, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, really, ten billion dollars, yeah. and and you know, that might be a low number and, actually, and five series, and you know, um, all of the it, books, it, all of the comics, all the books, and novels, and all the and books. All of the I mean, nice. I owned. I own freaking a hundred toys that I have none of anymore, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that would make your make your daughter's uh, uh, college education uh, super affordable. Right. right. Yeah. Which you know, uh-huh. it's okay. Um, yeah. You know, they provided me with with a with a ton of of joy and uh, and you know hours of of uh, fun. You know, when I was a kid, uh-huh. which is you know what they were made for. Who, who would know? You know, all these years later that. That, uh, well, if you don't take it out of the box, how how are you not going to take freaking right? Yeah, the stormtrooper out of the box. How are you not going to freaking lose Darth Vader's lightsaber? Um, you know, from freaking battles and shit. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, and you so, know, yeah. it, which did open up the eyes of a lot of a lot of people our age for the second, the second and third trilogy to come out. All of the merchandise and toys. Anybody right. who bought anything for their kids, they bought everything in a set of two, one to keep two. for the collection one and the other. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that opened so, everybody's yeah. eyes to that. And, um, uh, I, and I do have now, I do have a lot of the second issue, uh, by the Mattel and the, uh, the star Wars black series. I have a lot, uh, in the past. I have a lot They're of the black coming out. Um, yeah. I have a lot of know, the black series as well. I have the, uh, well, you know, I have the Han Solo uh, Tauntaun, and, and that's still in the box. And uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, so yeah, a lot of the uh, Black Series stuff are just—I mean, they're fucking fantastic models. They really yeah, are. There's they're... great detail to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, Star Wars. We could talk for for freaking sixteen hours about this. Yeah, um, yeah, we could have ten episodes on it, uh, but. Yeah, there and you may, go. That's maybe that, one. maybe that'll be a, a special for us down the road is uh, uh, some uh, Star Wars special. Um, who knows? Right. So to recap, um, again, this is our uh, top ten most influential uh, Oscar nominated and or winners of our lifetime. So basically, from uh, 1970 to now, we have number ten, uh, Karate Kid, and Back to the Future. Number nine, uh, we have Superbad and The Godfather. Uh, number uh, eight, we have The Way, Way Back and Apocalypse Now. Number seven, we have Tombstone and Rocky. Number six, we have Rain Man and The Exorcist. Number five is Dead Poets Society and Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. <laughs> number like- four is... You like how I said that? <laughs> I, I, I like how you enunciated every... <laughs> <laughs> every syllable of that yes um, uh number four is the green mile and uh lord of the rings fellowship of the rings um number three was life of pi for joe empire strikes back was my number three 
Uh, number two was uh, episode four, A New Hope for Joe. My number two was Jaws. And number one was uh, Three Billboards. And uh, my number one was a uh, our only repeat on the entire list. I'm really proud of it. Proud of us for that. Usually yeah. we have at least a, a couple few. of repeats. Yeah. And uh, our, our only one appears at number one and two for us. Uh, a New Hope. Uh, the beginning of the Star Wars franchise. So there you have it. There it is. So yeah. we're back next week with uh, the ranch and uh, Miss Maisel. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. We're currently uh, uh, we're back, watching to our, the- back to our regular format next week. Yeah. Back to uh, uh, binge series. Uh, both of these series were brought to us by uh, complete and total strangers. These aren't friends or uh, family or acquaintance interviews. These are people that uh, are showing that uh, our listenership uh, is as over a hundred uh, uh, now, and some of those people are in uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, California, Ohio, and that's where uh, our upcoming uh interviews are coming from and uh we have one in the very near future from a, a lady who's uh from london london england uh she's uh uh seen the dead to me or i'm sorry listened to the dead to me episode and she got a hold of me and said she uh was interested in talking about a series that she likes so that'd be interesting i'm sure it's going to be a a, BB, a bbc show uh more than likely because she doesn't live in the states hmm. so i'm sure it's going to be one of their shows and that that'll make it cool hey google play london calling by the clash there we go london calling by the clash sure <laughs> play on youtube music <laughs> Hey Google, uh, pause music. <laughs> yeah. So one of the fun things about this list is the fact that we did have one title in here that lasted over forty years, which is as long as Mash ran, and we covered a lot of uh, <laughs> and we covered a, a, a lot of movies that uh, really uh, really demonstrate. That Alan Alda was not in. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we did not have an Alan Alda reference uh, until this moment, uh, but we did uh, really recap how technology has changed uh, during all of these movies from them being almost borderline silly like the robot in Jaws and being um, completely um, to the CGI tiger in Life of Pi. So. Yeah, yeah, you know, so a little bit of everything in there and, and, uh, yeah, it's a really good, uh, really good episode. So, uh, whenever I get all this in, all right, don't forget the squeegee. Yeah, bring your bucket. All right, <laughs> all right, brother. I'll get a hold of you later, man. Cool. Later. Have a good week, bub. Bye. You too, man.